Welcome to Laugh and Learn with Vern. I'm your host, Eric Vernston. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is a very special episode with someone I go all the way back to middle school with. About five years ago, she had a viral Facebook post and literally went around the world. Uh, before I introduce a special guest, if you're on YouTube, you can see Kira's iPhone, but you don't know which Kira this is. Just as a disclaimer, this is not the official or unofficial position of the United States Army, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. military, which is all kind of really, uh, in a way, the same thing, but uh, just kind of two people having a wonderful conversation. So with all that being said, please welcome a very wonderful person, Kira Torres. Hello. <laughs> it is so great to see you. The last yeah. time we probably saw each other was maybe almost, it was almost 20, probably almost 20 years ago at some random part of South High School. Yep. Long time ago. Oh, it feels old. <laughs> and now you're in Orlando mm -hmm. and you have completely changed your life. So that was what caught my attention was five years ago. I, I, I didn't remember the time frame, but I remember you had this post and it was and it ended up getting translated to an, uh, an article. At least I saw the one you sent me was Australian News about how you've been five years sober of heroin. At that time. Yeah. And now you are 10 years sober. Yep what you got a big you got a smile on your face what is it like to wake up and be 10 years sober of that addiction feels like a dream like it doesn't even feel like that was my life like it it really just feels like a dream like to see how far i've come and the dreams i've chased the accomplishments that i've um you know progressed in it just yeah, it's, it just feels like it was just a one bad dream, you know. What was it like five years ago when you, you make this post and yeah. it just it just catches fire? I mean, I remember it was like, I think you had like hundreds or thousands of shares. You had like tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of likes. Like what, at what point were you like, this is a thing? Um, honestly, like I saw some there was one that had like millions of views and I was just like oh my god like my anxiety got so high because I had so many people messaging me just asking me like how I did it and it was just it was really surreal it was weird <laughs> yeah how did you get hooked up with like that article like did like new some new stations like reached out to you like what was that yeah what happened I I have no idea I really don't know if somebody sent it to somebody or if somebody oh, okay. shared it and somebody saw it I have no clue I just woke up with like my inbox blown up and then I saw the post okay so you never did like an official interview no it was just me making a post like I had five years I was just proud of myself like yeah. let me share my story of you know how this all kind of happened and it just kind of went from there <laughs> could you give give like a cliff notes of, of that, uh, of that post. Um, so it was basically talking about how my addiction started when I was 16. Um, you know, I had a kind of rough childhood. Um, and from there, my addiction just continued on and went until I was like 25 ish. But, um, I was just lacking love. You know, I was raised on control. Um, my mom's love language is different than mine. So 
if you're missing the love language, you know, you're not feeling loved. So I think that was just a big part of it. But um, when I started doing drugs, I just found something that numbed all the pain. And I was like, oh, great. This is my coping skill. Cool. You know, like this is what chills me out. Like this is my answer. And that went on, you know, I was homeless in Chicago. I was sleeping at O'Hare airport. I was sleeping on the subways at the park on the side of the expressway, um, motels, say on the West side of Chicago and abandoned buildings, like just, you know, doping stuff. And, um, I ended up getting on methadone and that's where I met a friend of mine who introduced me to my husband and, um, she still husband, going, right? Still husband, still husband, 10 years yeah. later. Yeah. That's great. Um, and yeah, he wasn't like any of my exes. He wasn't like the people that I dated. And um, he just, he, I don't know what he saw in me, but <laughs> I don't know. It just, it worked. And he ended up getting hit by a car and um, he was off work for four months. And that was, he was like always by my side. So I couldn't like sneak off to get high anymore. And I stayed clean for those four months. And then after four months, I was just happy. And I was like, I don't want to get high anymore. And I stopped and then um, we ended up getting married. I went back to college and then from there I got off methadone, which was like three years later. Um, but yeah, we, like I said, we got married and our whole lives just changed. You know, I found the love that I was lacking and it just made me not want to get high anymore. Like I found what was missing in my heart, you know. What do you think it is about that story outside of the surrealness? I, I mean, even hearing it, it to me is, is almost surreal how amazing it, I mean, it's like the ultimate comeback story. I know. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. I mean, it, it's amazing. What do you, what do you think it is about that outside of that, that, that resonated so much with people? I think um, because it was real and it was raw and it wasn't, you know, let's keep out this stuff that makes me look bad because I don't want people to think that my image is bad, you know, or my reputation, like I put it all out there. And I think a lot of the world lacks that type of honesty. And I think that's really what, well, from what I've had people tell me, that's what really um, resonated with them was just how real and raw it was. And like from the heart, you know, not just some story to appease people you know just some post to get five likes yeah yeah it was genuine where does that where does that come from now you know i don't i don't remember having deep conversations with anyone in middle school or high school especially not you yeah. and, I, and i don't mean <laughs> i just mean no, I, no. I, I, <laughs> up bad. Like, I just i don't you know i was like you know, awkward middle school. It wasn't like, oh, I remember Kara from middle school. I wasn't going to have a deep conversation with her. No, I don't worry. Luckily, I don't get offended very easily. So you're good. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I don't, you don't, I mean, where, but where does that openness come from? I mean, you're very, you know, I feel it coming through the screen. You're very vulnerable. You're very open. You know, we talked earlier about, you know, you talked about God, like, where does that, where does that come from? I don't know. I was, I was born with this weird heart. <laughs> I don't know. I've never been, I've always been very upfront and honest and blunt. I don't know. It's just, yeah. I don't know. Why do you think, why do you think others don't like, don't have that? Like, what do you think? Cause I feel, I feel like society, especially now 
it's just a lot of people just get they're so closed off and they're afraid to say I love you or like like I love you as a human being I think what you've done is beautiful and what you're doing is amazing and I I just think a lot of people don't want to say things like that or they don't want to say like I'm proud of someone like what 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 do you think that is I think there's a lot of factors that go into it. I think there's a lot of trauma. I think that America in general is just pretty narcissistic, you know? Um, I think with vulnerability, everybody's trying to be strong and admitting weaknesses, they think it's a weakness or admitting your flaws is a weakness. Um, I don't see it that way. I I see it as um, it can help somebody else. It can get somebody else out of, like I walk through this darkness, maybe I can help someone else from walking through that darkness, but most people don't have that same perspective. They have, oh, look what I've done, look what I've accomplished, but they don't go into what struggle they went through to get there. Do you still work with people going through that darkness? Mm-hmm. Yep. So whether it be an addiction or, I mean, I guess addiction would probably be the place to start. How do you, how do you work with, whether it be friends, acquaintances, or just random people? Like, what do you, how do you help them out? Or how do you, what what do you do? I shouldn't say help, but like, what do you, what is that process like from your end now? So I have um, a Kratom business and a CBD business. So that works with a lot of addicts, but at the same time, it's also a family disease. So I also work with their families um, because having to deal with an addict can be just as traumatizing as going through addiction yourself because you have no power over that person. So, you know, I have people that come to me for prayer because I'm very um, strong in my faith as well. I have people that um, had psychopath boyfriends that have been abused that come to me because I've been through those situations. I have people that have been homeless and need resources, you know, I've had like every bad thing you can happen that can happen to a person has pretty much happened to me. So like, it's such a big range of people that I am able to help and guide and give advice to. Um, It's really just, it's crazy. There's just so many people, so many, everybody's broken. Everybody's hurting. Everyone's going through affliction, you know? So I just try to be the light in the darkness. When you work with families, how do you, how do, like, what is that, what is that process like? Cause I know that almost every family, whether it be a child, a brother, or maybe even like a, a cousin, almost every family at this point, at least in America, has someone who's got some sort of either alcohol or drug issue. And it, and it comes out in, in ways that, you know, maybe, maybe they, they do a good job of hiding it. But then, you know, I know that they, they call someone late at night and they're just like abusive or it's like a situation where it is like they're on the street and they really need help. How do you work with families overall, like generally speaking? It's really um, it's different for each person because a lot of families are like, well, should I do this or should I do that? And I'm, I'm giving them my perspective. Well, when I was in addiction, I would say that to manipulate somebody to do what I want, you know, or I would, I would use that excuse. I'm going to get clean tomorrow just to hold you off, you know? So I give them. What, why does that hold someone off? Well, when you have 
when you're constantly asking your son, daughter, mom, dad to go to rehab, go to rehab, go to rehab. And they keep saying, you know, I'm going to go tomorrow. I promise I'm going to go tomorrow. I'm going to go tomorrow. It gets them off your back until tomorrow. And then is that kind of the opening to get high or is that just like you have a, you have a room to breathe in that environment? Well, it's more so to make them aware because these, these family members, they get their hopes up. They really believe the addict is going to get clean tomorrow. Yeah. But I know that game. I've played that game and I've watched all of my friends play that game. I already know tomorrow doesn't come tomorrow. You're just going to say tomorrow again. I've yeah. never met anybody that actually goes tomorrow. So it's really hard to watch the families get their hopes up. And the next day they're not going. Yeah. Getting their hopes up and not going. I say, you know what? Let's hope for the best. But there's a chance that this isn't going to play out the way that you're hoping. Yeah. And it just kind of brings them back down because I feel like expectations are what really break people. So if you can kind of get their expectations to a place that's in reality, like realistically by understanding what an addict is going through and what their mind is thinking, it just kind of helps them not go so up and down. What is that, that addict mindset? Just one more. I'm just going to have one more. It's always one more. You're just trying to get to the next whatever. I'm just going to get high one more time. I'm just going to get high today. And some of them truly believe it. But unfortunately that, you know, that obsession in their head, it doesn't stop. You, we talked earlier before this about like trying to find quiet mm-hmm. and is it's kind of the idea of like drugs, find the quiet. How did you break that cycle and get from, I'm using this to find the quiet to, I don't need this to find the quiet. Um, or what do you, and what do you do now? Do you meditate? How do you find, how do you find that space to be just with yourself? I actually have that space a lot. Like, unless there's something like going on with a family member or something, like that's the only time where I like get in my head. But for the most part, I'm, I'm never bored. I'm very peaceful. Like I, I feel like I lived such a crazy life for so, for those 10 years yeah. that now I'm totally cool sitting at home <laughs> in my house, just yeah. listening to music and thanking God for this beautiful life that I have, you yeah. know? And, um, but I always tell people, so you can understand, you know, when it's storming out and you're driving and it's like the rain, thunder, lightning, everything's just on your windows and on your car. It's so noisy and loud. Yeah. And then you go under a bridge and it gets quiet and peaceful for a second. And then you clear the bridge. And again, it's just chaos and craziness. That bridge is what heroin is to people. So when their demons or whatever obsessions in their head keep telling them, you should just get high, you ain't shit, you're never gonna be nothing, just go get high, you're failing everyone anyways, then they go under that bridge when they get high. And that's what stops it. And so that's how I kind of like to explain like heroin and those type of downer drugs to people is it literally just gives them that quietness that they can't get naturally. It took a lot of practice with meditation for me to get it constantly. What is your, what's your meditation practice now? I either, I'll usually do a little meditation. I'll just listen to some nice, quiet, calm music, or I'll listen to worship music and I'll pray and I'll just listen and whatever little thought, you know, there's always that little thought in the back of your head, like your intuition like whenever something comes to me, like I'll just meditate on that. 
do you still are so like for example like yeah the thought so you oh you'll meditate on the thought well i'll sit quietly i'll wait to see what thought comes into my head okay. because this is how i've done all of my healing is through meditation and listening to my intuition praying to god like what do i need to heal from next and when i sit quietly and i ask god to search my heart like there's something that i might have completely forgot about that'll just pop up in my head and i'm like oh lord let me let me go through this now so that's kind of how I've gotten my peace is because the more you focus on that little voice, because I feel like our unconscious mind is basically all of those thoughts, those flashbacks, you know, those cringy moments that you've had or those bad things you've done. Yeah. And they just kind of always keep popping up, you know, intrusive right. thoughts. So when I stopped pushing them back down and I started to like pull them up is when I really started to heal and let go of them. Yeah, that you'll be doing something, and it's like, hey, remember back in uh, back in two years ago when you said that one thing? Like, yeah, that was really yeah. weird. Why did you do that? And you're like, just washing the dishes. Like, yeah, but see, I'll go deep. Why did I say that? What exactly made me say that? That I'm still cringing about it, you know? And I learned to not do it in the future. Like, I try to find that root problem, you know. I do know, but most people don't do that. They no, don't do anything. I don't know anything about that. Yeah. yeah. Literally no one. I know. Where do and you wonder why everybody's so fucked up? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I think that's a lot of it is people don't want to, they don't want to do that really hard internal work. Oh, it's hard. It's very hard. I do. So I do journaling. Mm-hmm. I'll journal not every day I try not to I try not to commit to like a hard and fast like I have to do this right and but I try to I try to journal meditate uh, by meditate I just kind of try to focus on my breath that's usually when like like you said like something will pop up and then I'll be like oh like should I think about that or should I let it you know I'm more like I'll just let it pass but try to get try to get back back to the breath but it's taken me six, seven years of journaling, meditation, going from drinking, call it two, three days a week, heavy to almost zero. And it's it's pretty interesting how, when you cut out alcohol, it was a really hard, and I, I'm not completely, like, I'm not, I haven't completely given it up. I support anyone that has, I'll still like every couple months. If I, if I go out with someone, I'll probably have a couple of drinks. Although I did that a couple of weeks ago and had a horrendous hangover. It was like a drink and a half. Yeah. I think that's because we're old now. <laughs> People are listening to this. They don't see us. Oh, they might see us on YouTube. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. That's, that's fair. But it was a really hard, the first year of like, I'm really not interested in drinking anymore. It was really tough. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any, like, it was all of a sudden like those excuses Mm-hmm. Just like we're gone. And I like on I guess Sunday, like we were talking earlier, where I was like, hangovers were kind of like a way to it was like a forced timeout. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying that like the tunnel analogy, like a hangover is almost like a tunnel mm-hmm. because it's like the quiet. Like you have a built, oh, I can't go do that today. I'm hungover. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm not gonna do that today. I'm hungover. Like everything in your mind, you can shut off everything. Right. Go today, I'm hungover. I'll do that tomorrow. 
But when you're not hungover, you're like, all right. Ooh, I guess I don't have any excuses. Yeah. You know, am I like before, let's say you don't see a relative. It's like, well, I'm, I was, you know, I was fucked up or like hungover. Mm-hmm. I can't see him. Then you're like, oh, maybe I'm just a bad person. <laughs> yeah, I've had those thoughts. Don't worry. <laughs> what, what do you what do you do when that comes up? Um, I don't know. I mean, I take an honest look at myself. Am I a bad person? Like, am I making bad choices? Is my character bad? Like, what do I need to improve on? You know, like, I don't know. I, I, I'm very honest with myself. Like if there's a thought, a negative thought that comes in my mind, I prove it wrong or I accept it that it's correct. It depends on the thought though. I want to go back to, so you had this like 10 year, 10 year period where you were fighting addiction without, I guess I'm trying to think, what are some like, cause I want to talk about what, like some things, maybe some misnomers people won't, don't know about addiction or something we should know about addiction. But like, do you have any stories that are like, so like, and I mean this in like a humor sense. It's called laughing with Verno. Serious topic. Do you have any like funny stories from that period of time? I mean, you said it was darkness, so obviously maybe not that many. But like, do you have any stories you look back on? You're like, that was so ridiculous. Like, I can't believe that happened. In the very beginning, like probably when I was like 17, 18, back when like my addiction was still like, oh, we're partying, we're having fun, we're not hooked and dope sick and strung out yet. Like I have. We had a party over on the west end of Crystal Lake. Um, and so the neighbor's dad ended up coming and he tried to steal our keg. And so my baby daddy and my friend fought the dad, grabbed the keg, ran down the street with the keg full, threw it in my trunk. And we're just yelling at everyone to follow us to another house to have a party. Like I've got those type of goofy stories. But when I say like, the life of addiction is dark. There's not much funny stuff when it comes to that. I mean, you're really selling your soul. You know? Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, so what would be, I mean, you, you keep in touch with people, you work, you work with people. And by what was, what is Kratom? I don't even know what that is. Um, it's like a natural painkiller. It's um, like a healthier alternative to pharmaceuticals. It's just a tea leaf. It's literally, you, you can brew tea or put in capsules. Now I remembered something. You don't like big pharma. No, I don't. <laughs> I remember no, I don't. this now. They tried what? to make it illegal. So that's why I've got little issues with them. They try to they try to make Kratom illegal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They tried to do what they did with weed. They tried to make it seem like it was dangerous. It was going to kill people. It's addictive. And as we see with weed, you know, however many years later, now it's legal for medical use so they tried to do the same thing make it illegal that way they could patent it like they did with weed but we fought it and we had our own scientists like the university of florida has a scientist that was working on it um we have lobbyists we've got a whole organization fighting for legality and our science shows that it's not dangerous the fda is showing people that are dying from a heroin overdose and had kratom in their system and they're blaming it on kratom so if I eat a blueberry muffin and some Kratom, or if I shoot some heroin and I take some Kratom and the heroin kills me, you're going to sit there and blame it on Kratom. Like, how is that even logically 
Oh, they make me so angry. They make me so, so angry. It sounds like uh, when people would uh, oh. get in a car accident when they were COVID positive and die, in a car, die from the car crash and they, they would blame it on COVID. Exactly. And they did that with Kratom as well, too. And it's like, okay, so if somebody, um, the whole, th- it just pisses me off. The whole thing pisses me off because it has helped so many people get off drugs, get off, you know, all these different things that they're taking and have quality life. I have grandmothers that were in so much pain. They were bedridden. They finally get off their pain pills. They start taking Kratom and now they're able to sit on the floor and play with their grandkids. Like, I mean, you've got beautiful stories and for them to sit there and demonize Kratom for profit mm, makes me very angry. Yeah. There's your answer. One thing that makes me angry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There it is. Yeah. What are we going to do about big pharma? Because I, there are, there are what, I think it's like 30 something million people are on like SSRIs. A lot. I mean, I feel like that's 30 million people that are numbing themselves from doing the work that you do. Yeah. You? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. And it's like, I don't, I feel like that's such a big issue that like, it's so hard to talk about because well, a, getting to the actual like way to help yourself without those pills is hard. It's, yes. and, it, and it's, and you're going to cry. You're going to have dark days. You're going to have days where you're like, I can't believe what, why don't I just take this thing? Wouldn't it be easier? Yeah, and you guys, oh, sorry, go ahead. What are saying? It is easier. It is much easier to just take a pill or a drug. How are you all fight or what have you been doing to fight big pharma with Kratom? Well, we went, we went to DC, um, to protest. We had a rally in 2016 and I think again in 2018 or something like that. So we went, we had two rallies. We did petitions. We did online petitions. Um, I went and talked to the legislators and Congress and stuff. Um, like we did the whole nine yards to keep it legal. So you, okay. So you went to DC in 2016. How did you, so what are you with like a certain group that got, I mean, you just described, you just casually brought, by the way, you just casually talked about talking to legislators like, Oh yeah, we talked to legislators. Like how did that, how did you even, that's not like a normal thing people do. I told you my life has just been a whole bunch of weird things that just pop up and happen. And I, I don't have a plan. So when things like pop up, I just go and I do it. And then everything just like works out. I don't know. I like to not have a plan. I'm spontaneous. <laughs> I'm a free spirit. My mom says I'm like a leaf. Wherever the wind blows me, there I go. I ended up in DC with legislators. <laughs> do you th- Did you get the vibe that they were listening? Mm, some of them. Some of them are just like brushing us off, but you know. Some are close-minded and they don't know what's going on. Some of them heard about it, but didn't know much about it. So yeah, we just talked to everybody. Do you, do you feel like Kratom is where it needs to be right now in terms of usage and acceptance or where do you want that? Where would you want that to be? Well, I mean, I think it should just be a lot of people want it regulated just for safety and stuff but I think it's fine the way that it is honestly I don't like how I mean I'm not one of those like my body my choice people I'm more do whatever you feel is best for you I'm gonna do what's best for me um and I think that everybody should have that opportunity and be able to choose what they want to do if we have 
the right to choose to do illegal drugs, why can't we have the right to choose to do a healthy alternative? You know, so that's kind of where I stand at it. Would you, okay, so on a scale of the most conservative religious town ever banning everything, including women dancing with men, we'll call that a 10, to Mm -hmm. some of these cities in Oregon now that are like, any drug is fair game. Where do you stand on legalization of drugs? Um, it's, I understand why they're legalizing it from the perspective of it's a mental health issue, not a criminal issue. People commit crimes because they are addicted, but they are addicted because they are trying to cope with traumas and whatever issues they're running from. So legalizing it is making it where you're not going to jail, you're going to go get treatment, you're going to get help that you need. So in that aspect, I understand. In the other aspect, you know, from going through what I went through, I know having it easily like, okay, I don't have to watch out for the cops. Like it's gonna make it that much easier for people to go and get it and not have to worry about that. Um, so I guess I would be like smack dab in the middle. Like I, I can't even take a side, like I understand both perspectives. Yeah. And again, like I was telling you earlier, the system, like addicts, they're so different, but so much the same where it's like jail might work for somebody, prison yeah. might work for somebody but rehab might work for somebody. So which way? I don't know. I don't, there's no, I don't It's such a complicated subject. You know, it's really hard to figure out what is right and what is wrong because there's so many different areas and aspects that have to be looked at. Do you look at California or different States like that and see what they're doing and and kind of like in your head or even not in your head say like i think this is a good approach like what would you do so let's say you get elected the governor of california or the mayor of los angeles and they're like all right mayor torres we need to figure out what to do about these tent cities what would you do um hmm tent cities let's see well i mean if i had millions of dollars, lots of money, I would make a whole place just for the homeless with like tiers, you know, like for like the first tier is for people that are just coming in off the streets. You know, the second tier is for people that have got a job, they get more freedom. Third tier is for people that um, are sufficient and staying clean and doing all this, you know, so each one you get more freedom and then eventually they move out on their own. Like, I would like to just do something like that. That is what I would do. I would take funding and money to be able to, because these homeless shelters, I understand why there's 10 cities. The homeless shelters are ridiculous. So, um, how, how so? I, I don't know. I don't know much about a homeless shelter. So, and so, like, why? So, Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago, you have to be there. I don't know. I think at like seven or eight or something, and when the doors lock, you have to sit through church for an hour and then you have to line up women with women men with men kind of like jail and stand naked in a line 
to take a shower, then change into their nightgowns, put your clothes in a hot steamer. And then just like jail, you go to a bunk bed and then you got to be out at 530 in the morning to wander the streets again. Like there's no, I mean, I don't, I'd never made it anything past that. I don't know if they have more tears or anything, but like it, it made me not even want to go there. You know, it just reminded me of jail. Like, they, would, they would kick you out at 530 in the morning. Mm-hmm, 530 in the morning. You got to be out. Did you have to be sober when you were there? No, they would just make, there was no doors. There were curtains to make sure you couldn't get high in the bathroom stalls. So if you were in there for more than like five minutes, they were coming and like, get out. You said you compared it to to jail. Mm -hmm. In what, I guess, in what ways? Like just that process? Imagine this whole room just being filled with bunk beds lined up next to each other, just like this. Like the entire building is just a whole bunch of bunk beds. Like that's where you sleep, all of them. And that's exactly how it is in jail too. I mean, some have cells, but the prison that I was in was dorms and it was 10 bunk beds all lined up like next to each other. Where was that? Uh, Lincoln Correctional Center. It's a men's prison now. Um, The girls got switched to uh, Logan and then the men went to Lincoln, but it's down in Lincoln, Illinois. Down in Lincoln, Illinois. And then I was also at Dwight, which is the women's max prison, but it's shut down now. When was uh, when was the last time you were in jail? Um, when I was in, I got out of prison in 2011, and then I went to jail for like a week in 2012. Not even a week. I stole something like some five dollar earrings from Payless, and um, I ended up beating the case. But that was the one where you jacked the guy in the face, right? What? Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Not one of my fondest moments, but yeah. <laughs> okay, so that okay, so I mean, you've literally been ten years sober of jail, drugs, like everything. Well, I'll smoke weed on and off. That I don't really count. Like that's legal. That's legal. I know. I have my medical card, but still, like some people are like, "Oh my god, it's not clean." I'm like, you know what? Like if, an, if somebody can have control and smoke weed instead of going and doing like all the other hard stuff, who the hell cares? People drink wine every night. Yeah. Ain't no problem who cares if somebody smokes weed at night or if they're on it for pain management. There's no difference with some people get all crazy. But yeah, all hard drugs, jail, prison, all that. Well, you know, wine just has better marketing and better lobbyists than weed. Mm-hmm. I know. It's I know. So you see people and like, I can't see you, you, but you seem like you look like your, your face is skinny. You seem like you're, you look like you're in good shape. You yeah. see people that are like, that like drink, they're like swollen. And mm-hmm. then they like demonize people smoking weed. And it's like, have you looked at yourself? I know. I know. I know. It's, I hate, I hate the judgments, but it's humans for you. Everyone wants to point at other people's stuff so they don't have to look at their own. What is, what is something, or actually on, before we get there, uh, what about hallucinogens, I mean, I shouldn't say hallucinogens, but like, um, I know some people like microdosing and some people now are using like mushrooms, um, ayahuasca to work on beating addiction. How do you feel about that? Um, I would say go, I mean, 
I'm not going to say go for it, but I'm not opposed of it. I think that yeah. psychedelics are really, really helpful if taken correctly. There's actually an ayahuasca retreat down here in Orlando, Florida that I was looking into, but I decided not to do it. But it was very intriguing. It's like 10 years of psychotherapy in one night. Is that the, that's the pitch? Huh? That's what they, that's what they say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So why, why didn't you? I don't know. I guess I get scared. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. I've gone through enough. Like I'm, I'm doing yeah. well the way that I am. I don't want to like go on a yeah. trip and never come back, <laughs> you know? So that's just my own personal choice, but I'm not against that. I've, I've looked into like the ayahuasca stuff, but yeah. Yeah. What is, what is something about the criminal justice system that if, so this is, I don't, you know, we'll say same thing where, now, instead of the mayor of Los Angeles, you are the state's attorney of, I don't know, Orlando County. We'll call it that. Is that, is that the county? I have no idea. No, but it's close. <laughs> yeah. So we made up a new county. What would be, how would you, from your experiences, how do you think addiction is treated in the criminal justice system? And if there were changes to make, what would you, what would you recommend and why? I was actually just talking to my best friend about this. Um, and we both came to the same conclusion. There's, there's no right or wrong way to go about it because you're dealing with um, some people that just made a bad mistake, you know, because I mean, anybody can really end up in jail. I mean, all it takes is one bad mistake. I almost went to jail for a residential burglary that I didn't even do. Like I, if it wasn't for my friend's mom saying, I believe her, I would have gone to jail with this guy that did it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you can have association and end up in jail or you can be with someone stealing and they just want to be dicks and they lock both of you up. Like anybody can end up in jail. So when you have those type of people, like they need one type of, you know, it's a mistake, but then you have like the dark personalities and the people that are like evil you know you got murderers you've got narcissists you got sociopaths psychopaths like you got those people that really are genetically messed up and can't even see that the wrong in their actions like that's a whole different level and then you have the addicts you know or alcoholics and that are just trying to escape or they're just stuck in this downward spiral so you've got like three different types of people and it's like, how can you, it's like with kids, you've got three different personalities of kids. You can't parent them each the same way because they all have different needs. And it's kind of the same with the court system. Like, I don't know what's right or what's wrong. I know what's wrong, but I don't know how to make it fair. Nothing's really fair. My wife so, isn't fair, right? Yeah, it's not. So it's, it's really hard to, to say, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. I wouldn't want that job. <laughs> one, of the, so one of the things I've had an issue with when I was in misdemeanor court was what, what I guess, like, how do we, well, you, I've maybe said it earlier, but like, where does the mental illness, like the chicken and the egg with mental illness and addiction, do you yeah. think, you think it's more there's the, the, the addiction starts and then it leads to the mental illness or is addiction just a mental illness? And we're kind of that I'm that 
I'm not, or we're separating the two, but really it's kind of one and they almost need to be like, it needs to be like almost like a holistic kind of treatment. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, the way I see it is somebody that's mentally well, I don't think they're going to go and do drugs, right? Like someone that's mentally well. That's fair. Yeah. yeah you know, so I think sure. it's mental illness mixed in with trauma that kind of leads to the addiction. Um, even if somebody doesn't have all the clear symptoms that they're mentally ill when they're younger, the drugs could bring on those episodes. You know, you hear about people taking psychedelics that it triggers some type of mental illness in them. Well, they had that underlying mental illness and the drugs brought it out. So it was already there. Um, Dr. Klein, he's a doctor that I used to work with. And he, he says that addiction is pretty much, um, yeah, like mental illness. Like there's a genetic component that when somebody drinks or takes a drug, if they have that mental component, it's going to turn into addiction. If they don't, it's not going to turn into addiction. So a little bit's uh, kind of a, un, un, the unfortunate luck of the draw, if you have that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Let's say someone's listening to this and they have a friend or family member, or maybe they're kind of going through something. What would be the first thing you'd recommend them to do? Um, to just love them no matter what, because love is really the answer for everything. Um, I think a lot of people start to do drugs because they feel a void in their heart, like something's missing. Um, Whether it be you have two parents that are working all the time to support you and they're not there present, or you speak different love languages, or you don't have a parent in the home, like love really is. Sonny, I'm on the phone. Sorry, my oldest. love really is one of the biggest answers. And that's what I can say is just love them because I know how it feels to have um, tough love and it just makes you feel worse. So I'm going to get you out of here on this. Ready? Mm-hmm. And I'm being serious. Okay. What is your favorite memory of me from middle school? Oh my gosh. Bro. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm I was gonna kidding. say, dude, I was so unaware back then. Like I was I couldn't even tell you. Didn't I'm, you play basketball? Not basketball, you played a sport, right? I tried to play basketball, it wasn't always successful. <laughs> I don't know. So I played soccer on occasion. I don't know. I, not for not for Londall though. No, I wasn't uh oh. only in Amiros. All right, what would be what uh, if you had a some copying Tim Ferriss here, but if you had a uh, if you had a billboard mm-hmm. and you could put it up, who's this? This is my dog Ezra, my pit. All right. Wait, Ezra? Yeah, Ezra. Ezra, nice. All right, hi Ezra. <laughs> so if you had a so if you had a billboard and you could yeah. put up put it up anywhere and say anything, what would you what would you say? Um, stop running away from God. Why? Um, because personally in my life, um, I've noticed that when I try to control my life and do what I want, things usually kind of end up a little hectic or chaotic. But when I let go and I let God, um, as you can see, 
everything just falls into place. I end up at the right place. I end up just everything just it's it's amazing. And I just know I see firsthand when I used to run away from God, how dark my life was and how peaceful and content my life was when I stopped running from him. So you'd say stop running from God. Because he's I don't know. He's the one. I mean, I give all of my credit to him. I mean, I did the work, but at the same time, like he's the one that dropped the right people in my life, you know, and the right opportunities. So. Well, you, you made it happen. Yeah. You know, I, I think that your story is amazing and you're an, um, it, you're an amazing human being and you're so open and, you know, you said earlier, like people don't want to be weak. I think being vulnerable is strong. I do too. I do too. 100%. You know, I, and I give you all the credit in the world and, uh, you're amazing. And I, and I hope you never forget that and you keep doing what you're doing and you, you spread your message and keep being awesome. And I, I thank you so much for, you know, coming on It's you know, I, it's like, Hey, by the way, you know, you know, cause it's so, okay. What was the backstory? So I, we were messaging back and forth. And then I think I deleted Facebook mm-hmm. and then I came back on for like a little bit and I was like, Hey, what's your email? And then I emailed you and then somehow, and okay, so I guess I'm not, I'll get you out of here on this lighter note. How did you have zero room in your Gmail? How many emails did you have in there? How is that a thing? I've never, I've never seen that before. A hundred thousand. <laughs> Was it just yeah. like Kohl's coupons or what? Everything and anything. I don't know. I've had it for so, I've had it for probably... I don't know, the last eight years and I don't really delete anything. So I just get all these spams and it just keeps coming. And I'm like, whatever, yeah. it's just going. So yeah. And then wow. finally it's like, I can't get any more. I'm like, oh, got a new one. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you did. And I'm glad that I, I had to find a better relationship with Facebook. Mm-hmm. I had to find my way to essentially what I do now is just use messenger. I don't even really like I'll post things, but I don't really comment. I just stay out of the, you know, the, uh, the things I used to get into before. I deleted the whole app. I just have Messenger now. Um, I needed a break. It's too much. With World War Three about to start, I'm like, nope, I'm off. Um, I'm gonna give you some. I'm gonna give you. A, I'm gonna give you a positive on that. I don't think World War Three is gonna start. I think this will be. I think this will be resolved. There are things that both parties want that I think both can get. And yeah. if Russia doesn't end up doing, if Russia, if they don't find a way to do it, I actually do think that because of how I, I think that Ukraine will be okay. So I think we'll be okay. And I think the world's going to be fine because we need a break because we had COVID. We got this. Mm-hmm. Well, we're switching to the new system. You see in the United Nations what they got planned, right? The Sustainable Development Act. No, what is that? So if you go to the United Nations website and you look up the sustainable development goals, it shows all of the goals that they're working for, like healthcare for all. Um, oh God, I'm, I can't even name off the crap, but you'll see it on there. There's like a whole bunch of goals and it's basically police reform is another one. So like every single issue that we're having, I feel like it's them just switching to this new system because the future is here. We're in the technical to technological era so everything with ai is going to be coming and everything is just going to be from what it what they want the goals that they have they want 
world peace. No, no more hunger, no more problems with healthcare. Like everybody's going to be the same. Do you, want, to- do you um, like that? Um, again, I'm kind of in the middle on everything yeah. because it sounds really, really good in theory, like world peace sounds beautiful. But at the same time, when you realize that we lose a lot of our rights in the process, it's kind of like, well, you know, like the vaccine, I really thought we were going to get mandated for it. I was like, oh, this is it. This is how they start the, the medical thing. You know, everybody gets vaccinated. Everybody has to be mandated for it. So I was really surprised that didn't happen. But. People in this country, they it seems like people are like, I'll go along with it. I'll go along with it. But the minute they're like, I'm done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not moving. Yeah. Because it seemed like all of a sudden that whole thing shifted real quick. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, I don't know. I don't know what happened, but it seemed it was just like, yes. Okay. 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 We're not going to, I mean, it, at least around where I am, you see, rarely see anyone even in a mask. I mean, it's almost like COVID is just completely done. And it and like even two months ago, a month ago, you couldn't have said that. And I don't know what happened or where it came from, but I don't know. It, it's different down here in Florida. We shut down for like a weekend. That was it. And then everybody was just back to normal. Like literally been like a year and a half. And, and my family called, I went up to my grandma's funeral and my whole family is like elbowing me. Like, Hey, how are you? I miss you. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> And they're like, you need to wear a mask. I don't feel safe. And I'm like, what do you mean? I sh- you should be worried about me. You're all wearing masks. <laughs> like, I'm the one that's not protected. It's yeah. really crazy to see the difference between Illinois and Florida. Would you ever, really. move, would you ever move back? Um, I hope not. I mean, if, like, <laughs> really had to. But I, I, I hope not. <laughs> well, yeah. my girlfriend and I... Uh, are going to try to get down there in the next five years. So we might, we might be neighbors sooner than later. Good. You have to vote red down here though. You can't vote blue. That's not a problem. (laughs) That's one of the, our sheriff down here in Polk County. He don't play. He gets on the news and he's like, if you're going to move down here, don't bring your blue stuff with you. We're red down here. I'm like, Oh God. (laughs) Wait, Polk County? Polk County. Yeah. All right. If they, uh, okay. Polk County. Yeah, yeah he, uh, he gave permission when they were looting down here. He deputized everybody in the county. He said, you guys have per- permission to shoot. Shoot first, ask questions later. If you see anybody like trying to break into your stuff or break in, I'm deputizing you. Yeah, he's really cool down here. And let me guess, the looting stopped. Yeah, we didn't really have much of that. All right, Polk County. I'll be there within the next five years. Kira Torres, uh, thank you so much. No and, problem. Uh, well, we might have to do this again, uh, talk a little bit more uh, red versus blue states. So. Sounds good. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me.